Hello there, listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Sam. And this is our third take of a review of The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. The reason was, first time we were very well prepared. Second time, Sam was still in bed at 10 a.m. <laughs> I feel like I've been ill this week. Maybe was traumatized by the book and um, it's just <laughs> sticking with me. That's interesting. So the book supposedly teaches you how to get through the difficulties that arise from traumatic events by revealing the psychology behind them and revealing some of the techniques therapists use to help victims of trauma recover. And so chances are that you had a traumatic event or two in your own life. And I've learned from the book that these events have the potential to have a significant impact on your thoughts and behavior, whether you realize it or not. That's one of the first learnings that I had. This is for all people like most people statistically actually have one or many traumatic events. Yes. And in general, traumatic events, they're the most that get described in the book are either war veterans that had have experienced events during wartime that are horrendous, almost by definition. And then also a lot of sexual assault victims. The, these are like the two types that are discussed in the book. It's hard to define a traumatic event in a very quantitative way because it all depends on how people react to it and what is a traumatic event for one person might not be a traumatic event for another. And so, um, yeah, that, that's my takeaway there. Basically the point is that there's quite a lot of things that can lead to trauma and depending on how you are, you may not have noticed that this thing has happened to you and it may well be holding you back with the fixed mindset, growth mindset, where you basically learn that things are bad and essentially make your life worse for yourself. I think there's a quote around being traumatized means continuing to organize your life as if the trauma were still going on unchanged and immutable as every new encounter or event is contaminated by the past, which is literally the definition of the fixed mindset where you just don't see the capability for good things to happen and you just continue to try and protect yourself or stop yourself from doing things and can lead to development of other problems. I think it's dangerous to compare it to the fixed mindset because calling it a mindset makes it seem like you can just force your mind to get over it, which I think is a very big problem here. Like for example, my mom is a great mom, but she's not able to think very well about mental health. She's always like, yeah, just get over it. Just stop thinking about it or just move on. And I feel this is a generational thing. People that are like 50 years or older tend to think that way and pretty rigid around that. And it's like, why would you go to a psychologist? Like, just get over it. And it feels like our generation is much more open for mental health and appreciative of the fact that it's not something that you just can think your way out of. Yeah, you definitely need help. It, much like you go to the doctor with physical things and mental things are just as damaging. I saw a great ad for BetterHelp yesterday where there was this person who like had snapped their leg or something and they were like, oh, but I'm just going to be strong and I'm going to be fine. So I'm not going to go to the doctor. And the other person, their friend's like, dude, you go to the doctor, your bone's sticking out. What the fuck? And he's like, yeah, but I'm a strong person, so I'll be fine. And like, yeah, but you should also go to the doctor. And the point being that like, <laughs> it's easy to see when someone needs to go to the doctor, but it's not when they have a mental health problem and it's just as important and can debilitate your life. So you do need to heal it with help professionally. <laughs> Who would you recommend this book to? Who would I recommend this book to? 
people who <laughs> either need help or struggle to understand why others need help, which could be a lot of people in that sense. There's a difference between who I'd recommend should have read this book versus who I'd recommend the book to read because if they just wouldn't actually read it if that is a more accurate answer but less <laughs> useful, perhaps. <laughs> this book feels like something that should be read by all mental health professionals. And it also feels like it should be read by people that have suffered traumatic experiences. That being said, I went through the reviews on Goodreads about this book, and I saw mostly women complain how graphic some of the descriptions of traumatic experiences were, and that it was triggering to them. And these are things that I didn't realize at all when I read it myself, just because I've never been in that situation before. Good for me, at least, to realize that it is quite graphic. And sometimes I never really had to like put the book away, but it made me feel very uncomfortable. The quite graphic descriptions of some of these things that happened. It was not an easy read for these reasons. And so people should be mindful of that before they read this. If you get potentially triggered by these descriptions, then be mindful of that before you start reading this book. For me, this book made me more empathic because we don't know what happened to people in their past, but whatever happened can have dramatic influences on the way they act, the way they feel, the way they think. And so I'm fairly judgmental. If I see people doing things that I would never do in my whole life, I immediately think they're like a bad person or whatever. And reading this book makes me realize that everyone has a past. I think I've been luckier than the average person. And People that haven't been so lucky, I think what happened to them might explain what they're doing instead more than just them being a bad person. Definitely. I very much subscribe to the fact, well, I don't know if it's a fact, the um, philosophy that 99% of people are just making the most rational decision in front of them to do what in their head is the right thing to be doing. They're not trying to be necessarily a dick to others. It's just a confusing world and the way you get brought up is puts a bunch of frameworks in your mind around how the world works and who you need to be for your ego and representation of everything and what it is to be a good man or woman or whatever and can lead you to think that you should be getting angry or be silly about some stuff and it's not really very helpful. So you should do more therapy. <laughs> Probably. Is that what you would recommend what people should do? I do feel like even if you don't feel you need it, it's good to go and do some therapy for a while just to ask questions about life and if things are normal and to have a very sort of impartial person just to reflect like these deep, weird conversations that you might have. Right? Why do humans even do this? Or where am I doing this? Is this normal? And it can help you reach a path of more happiness and inner peace because there's lots of different things that do frustrate people slightly or cause them to have negative emotions in different directions and you can definitely get guided in a better direction by someone going there with you in my experience <laughs> partially thanks to this book I have decided to go to a psychologist myself i haven't done a session yet soon but I don't know if I would describe them as traumatic experiences, but I've been like severely bullied when I was younger. And um, I do think that that has an impact on me without me really realizing it. One of the things that I noticed for myself, I'm very bad at allowing myself to be vulnerable. 
And I think that might be related, but I can't seem to think my way out of it. And so it feels like someone professional, someone neutral could help me just realize exactly how I feel about what happens. And if that's related to my sense of vulnerability or the fact that I just don't let myself be vulnerable. Definitely. That sounds very worth getting into. I had a business partner like a five years ago or something who had much worse problems than you did as a child, but in terms of bullying, I mean, I don't know exactly how the extent of yours, but his was really bad, but it definitely caused some permanent kind of trauma around his ability to trust anyone and um, ability to kind of operate and, and work in the world, which is frustrating to be working with him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd notice it so much with you, but uh, when, once you get to know you at a basic level, you, you sleep normal. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, like, I think that's the case with most people, right? People get very good at hiding these things and working around them, talking around them. But one thing is for sure, I have never like 100% open up to you just because I don't do that. I struggle doing that to my wife even. And so my realization from this book is it feels like as we move forward, a significant percentage of the population should become a therapist or a psychologist, right? Mental health is such a deep issue and it is also a vicious cycle where if one person has a traumatic experience, they have it, it influences them deeply, they still try to live their life normally, they have kids, right? But because they had that traumatic experience, they still have these problems in, in how they perceive the world and how they think. They pass that on by bad behavior or even like not directly bad behavior, but th this stuff gets given on and then it's like this loop and cycle that just keeps continuing. So on the subject of opening up, there's the quote saying that being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. So <laughs> apparently this is important. Our first and foremost objective at every moment is to ensure our own survival. And so if we feel that our own survival is threatened, that's the only thing that we focus on. Like we want to get away or we want to ensure our own safety. And so if you feel unsafe, you cannot do anything else, right? Our basic instincts should be to get yourself to safety. And so a lot of traumatic experiences are things happening that you don't want to happen, which results in you feeling unsafe in situations that others perceive as normal. And so, yeah, that's a very more important point to make. Yeah, definitely. And then the, and there's the violent version of unsafe. And then there's like the sort of the general social aspect of unsafe, as in you want to appear as like a rational human that's good for the tribe or whatever, which can involve not opening up around your slightly oddities or whatever and being truly transparent and open with yourself. And um, oh, there's a good definition of confidence, which is something around the not worrying about failing or appearing weird because if you still know within yourself that you are like a good, nice person and you're not going to be worried like what other people judge you as kind of thing. And there's a really good way of um, saying that. <laughs> and I said it not, not so nicely, but it's really good if I actually knew what the full quote was. Oh yeah, I think it's around like knowing that you're still loved. So even if you fail at something, like you would still be loved. I think that was the definition of self-confidence kind of thing. And, it, and I was like, yeah, that's a really good point because of I'm happy to go out and do things where I appear as a bit of an idiot and still feel that people like me. So for example, not turning up on time yesterday <laughs> and having you be like, Sam, it's now like 20 minutes into the time that we should have been recording. It's okay. It happens. And you're really nice to me. It's like, 
I can feel very confident and happy, although I'm still slightly unconfident. I'm like, shit, I'm like, if I keep on doing this, Nick is going to be like, who is this guy that he's doing this podcast with? But you kind of did make me feel loved. Whereas if you're like, Sam, what the fuck? I mean, I can't work with you. You're such a useless person. I'd be like, God, I really am useless. Like, I'm not worth it. <laughs> I wouldn't feel loved and I wouldn't have that much self-confidence. So um, you did a very good demonstration of being nice to me and making me feel happy and stuff. So thanks for that. So, which is why I'm saying that I maybe wouldn't notice that you have these sort of opinions of people because of, as far as I'm aware, you've always been quite nice. <laughs> anyway, any, any other things we should be discussing? I think, um, the stuff about around how to heal besides actually just going to see a therapist. I took away three general tricks and tips that people could use. The first one is related to a specific therapist called EMDR therapy. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And essentially what you do is you keep things related to the traumatic experience in your mind. And then you follow someone else's finger, usually a therapist's finger from side to side. And so your eyes move rapidly. So this helps your brain actually process some of these experiences it's proven to do that in like an incredibly consistent and cohesive way, which I'm like super surprised about. And people don't really understand how it works and why it works, but it works next to this book. I've been hearing about it as well. Other people that I know that go to therapy. And so my takeaway from this specifically is that it's more than just a mental thing. Like there's a physical and a mental thing that if you combine both, you can actually start healing things, which I really like intuitively wouldn't expect, but it's great to know that something like this works and exists. And it sounds from anecdotal evidence from the book, at least that it really works and it could help quite a lot of people. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, definitely. I think eye movement is also something that I find quite fascinating in psychology because I definitely move my eyes more than others. I've realized having watched videos and I'm like, wow, I look kind of weird. <laughs> and I just, find myself searching for things to talk about a lot. Like I literally just did it then when I'm like <laughs> trying to uh, think about something. I seem to have more ideas going on in my head at once when I'm trying to speak. So I often look in a lot of directions, which doesn't help how genuine I can come across. Whereas normal people are a bit better at sort of looking in one way as if they know what they're talking about. And it's slightly frustrating to realize that I have this problem, <laughs> but I'm not sure that's related so much to trauma, but it's kind of interesting just to think about the different things that are going on in your mind and how your eyes represent that, at least. So it seems slightly related and a topic that somehow I'd like to delve into further, but probably not on this episode. What were the other things that you took away as the best ways to heal yourself? Because I had two others myself, so maybe they're the same. So the second one that the book describes is the use of yoga and rhythmic things like dancing. I think yoga is pretty interesting as a practice and it is one of these Lindy things, right? Lindy is this concept of the longer something exists and the longer you can expect it to exist in the future. And so yoga has been practiced for millennia now. And so the author also found that yoga can help significantly in combination with psychotherapy to help heal trauma. 
and the effects of it. So trauma is one. And then the other one is also a having a network of supportive people, which makes sense, right? It's again about feeling safe, all right? And if you have people that you can feel truly safe with, that can help you get over traumatic experiences. And also practicing mindfulness, just understanding how you feel in certain situations and being able to link certain situations to the way you feel and the way they make you feel are things that can help you understand what's going on in your mind and just realize that your body might still be feeling as if it's in this traumatic situation, which is essentially what the long-term trauma is, right? Long-term trauma is your body's acting as if it's still in the traumatic experience and then sometimes gets triggered by certain things that happen. And then you can have extremely adverse reactions to things that could be completely normal. And so yeah, yoga, music and dancing also helps. And then being mindful and having a sport network. I think these are the things you can do on your own if you don't feel ready to see a therapist. And honestly, like it feels like these things help anyone in any case. Yeah. I don't think anyone would suffer from doing those things. It comes up as advice and so much in like your morning routine, you should be meditating and, and journaling and stuff to be more mindful and things for a reason because it just helps you be more at peace with yourself and understand what you're doing in the world which is a good place to be um so yeah these are the ways that the book describes to get over it it goes quite in depth into some people that have traumatic experiences that had suffered for years until they came to the author who helped them through in other practices that's essentially the main gist of the book i think emdr is probably the biggest epiphany i guess that's described in the book it was the biggest surprising takeaway and it was kind of fascinating. What I found on the reviews on Goodreads, which I usually enjoy going through because often I see reactions that I would never have myself. And so in this case, I saw quite a lot of women who are either triggered by graphic descriptions of what happened, but also commenting about the fact that he came across as very misogynic and he described women as gorgeous and slender in the same sentence as describing a sexual assault on them. This interests me because how different people can experience different things, specifically like reading this book. For me, I didn't really realize that, but I found that interesting. Yeah, definitely. As <laughs> It's funny because I didn't notice that as coming across as creepy at all. <laughs> but he could have said a woman who is attractive without appearing quite so bad. But it's annoying because if it's... On the one side, I think it's really handy because some people are so confident and you can do it in such a nice way that they make people feel good about themselves. And I'm like, this is something that I'd love to get over and be able to just go around telling people that they look good and things in a way that isn't, doesn't mean that I want to have sex with you or anything. It just means that, hey, you're like, <laughs> you're having a great day. You're on fire. <laughs> no idea who you are, but like, you're killing it. And yeah, you, know, you do see some people that just look awesome. And I'm like, yeah it'd be nice if I could just randomly start a conversation around the fact that you look cool because some people do that and that would be fun. But then I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> how am I going to appear? And yeah, it's odd. The male, female sexual dynamics, tough man. Very confusing. Yes. <laughs> Back to the book. Yeah. I think that my last takeaway is that the book makes it seem like Almost everything can be fixed without the need to use many of the very common antidepressants and medication. Because often medication are curing the symptoms and not the foundational problem. But that said, I think there is room for medication. I've seen proof of this where medication combined with therapy can do wonders. Because sometimes there's just like physical things in the brain, certain connections that are either under or overdeveloped um, that just need a shakeup. And I think this is related to our next book. So I think 
medication is oversubscribed because people want a, a quick fix, don't want to do the work because this is work. One of my t main takeaways is if you have had a traumatic experience and you want to get over it, it's not going to solve itself by taking a pill. And so you're going to have to do work. You're going to have to confront that traumatic experience and it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be fun. But that said, it makes it seem like there's a possibility for almost most traumatic experiences to be solved or gotten over or healed. It's dangerous to say that, of course, right? It kind of made me optimistic, but it also made me realize that we need more of this. We need more people that can do and help people with this. About this, as I said in the beginning, when I told my mother that I was planning to go to a psychologist, she was like, why do you need that? You're fine. And so maybe this is like a natural thing that will change as, you know, as generations shift and, you know, we become the main generation, uh, millennials and, and younger, but it feels like being open about mental health is a good first step. And I respect anyone who does it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is well, certainly a harder thing in terms of in public. You don't really want to be coming across needy and stuff. Social media is generally talking about their wins and things. And you, if you are saying something bad, you just look a bit negative and stuff. But it's very handy to actually sort of show when you're having a bad day. Or like my friend recently, she just moved to Dubai. And as far as any photos she's taken, it looks like she's having a great time. And then she's in the picture, like, actually, <laughs> I'm kind of really scared. I don't like it. That's <laughs> so sad. I'm not sure I can really live here. I'm not having the best time. And it's good to actually put that as well, because otherwise all you just have is this image that everyone's having a great time around you, and they probably aren't. Yes. Having these things up at hand. Social media is not helpful for mental health. No, not at all. Which isn't really discussed in this book, but I guess it's kind of a massive... Because it's not really topic. traumatic, right? Well, it depends on what's going on. Someone close to me is currently trying to have children, for example, and they're going through IVF, but for a few times it has failed. And then you know, one time they kind of got quite far with being pregnant for it to then fail, which is really sad and difficult, like having a living child in your body. But then there's lots of people on social media posting about their babies and having fun. There's other people who also want to go into different universes where their life is better than their current version of their life and kind of like their fantasies are being fulfilled around the things of like, oh, if I'd made a different decision, this would be happening right now. And living in their past and stuff, which I think social media forces you to do. You're like, oh, well, my friend's doing this really cool thing. And if I've made a different decision, I could be doing that as well. And you are never happy quite with where you're at. Exactly. And, um, I think it's a useful poke around that, around being happier within yourself in some respects. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's do writing. Yeah. What do you think of the book? I thought it was good. I didn't notice the misogynistic side of it so much, but I did find that it wasn't an easy read. So I would give it a six because it, there was lots of important things, but it could have been crafted in a way that I could have eaten that book for breakfast if it had been written in a really nice way and still made the most same important mm. points. So six. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I find it hard because I feel like this is a must read for anyone who's yeah, in the exactly. mental health space. And it almost feels like a must read for anyone else as well, because I, it did give me quite a few realizations about the effects of trauma and not being so fast to judge people. That being said, it could have been shorter could have been written better and more easily listenable too. And it feels like it was somewhere between a read for psychologists and the general public. And I think for us, the same book, but written for more general people might have been like a nicer listen and would have gotten the higher score. So I want to avoid giving the same score as you. So I'm going to give it a five halfway. Boom. It did teach me a lot and, you know, I don't regret reading it, but I, don't feel any need to read it again. I've gotten the points, all good. Honestly, I think by listening to this 
podcast, you probably have gotten the main points as well. They would stick with you harder if you read the full book, obviously, though. But yeah, that's true. Any case. So yeah, that's it. Next episode, we're reading the book, How to Change Your Mind. Michael Pollan. What the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. Yeah, I think we discussed it on the previous episode, what psychedelics do to your brain and how they can help. And it's fascinating. That's the next one. Cool. Cool. I'm All right. Forward. Then uh, that was it. Thank you for listening. Dear listener, if you liked what you heard, feel free to give us a, a good rating. Spotify now allows you to do that. And we hope to speak again to you in the next episode. Cheers.